Welcome to Better in Real Life, a podcast from the Trestle Collective. I'm your host, Jonathan McGinty, and in this podcast, I have conversations with good folks who are doing some pretty interesting, cool things. This week, I visit with Kenya Murray, an epidemiologist with a wide range of expertise and experiences who is now a PhD student at the University of Georgia's College of Public Health. Those experiences include, after earning her master's degree from UGA, diving headfirst into one of the deepest pools in the public health world. I wanted to go to New York City. Um, I've always been an adventurous person, and so my my goal, I was just like, I want to go where the problems are. I want to go where everything and every day will be crazy and it will be a movie. That was my thought. Um, and I interviewed there and they said to me, they said, you know, um, you're going to have a lot of fun here, but it will be crazy. Are you prepared for that? And I said, yes, I'm prepared. And so I was matched with the New York City Department of Health where I went and served as a foodborne fellow. And so I worked within the Bureau of Communicable Diseases um, where we were responsible for investigating and conducting surveillance for over 72 infectious diseases for 8.5 million residents. And again, New York City is also a transient sort of city. So living in a city, you're exposed sort of to the world. Um, You have interactions with all different demographics and populations. And so my skill sets as an epidemiologist was amplified. Um, Every day at work was unpredictable and it was purely like a movie. Um, I did everything from foodborne outbreak investigations. Um, We were, I think we were the first city in the US that um, a doctor was infected with Ebola and came back and we kind of managed that situation. Um, I did healthcare associated infections, every sort of outbreak you can imagine. Um, I either led multi-state outbreak investigations or worked with other partners um, on that. Though she's one of the more seasoned students you'd find on any college campus, Kenya is eager to learn, serve, and ultimately make a difference. That's a big reason why she applied and was selected to be a member of the College of Public Health's first-ever Health Equity Fellows Program. Led by Dr. Grace Adams, the initial cohort partnered with the Georgia Municipal Association to address health disparities in communities across the state. One of the things that was interesting to me in talking with uh, Dr. Adams was the notion that when you were doing your your fellowships and you're starting to work in these different these different communities, that a lot of the the students who'd applied for the program had certain ideas of I want to do this type of intervention or I want to pursue this type of program, and then you get boots on the ground and you realize it could be a whole different reality. Um, was that sort of the, the the situation you had? Yes, and so I had never visited any of the cities listed other than College Park, any of the cities listed. And so I went in with an open mind. It's sort of um, a challenge for me. Like I challenge myself to always be able to face situations of the unknown. That's a huge part of my training through the CDCCST um, Applied Epidemiology Fellowship Program. Even 10 years down the line, I still honor that in that epidemiologists are generally called into situations where they're asked, solve this problem, and you you really don't know what's going on, but people are looking to you for answers. And so I honored that in that I chose a city that I knew nothing about, and I chose the one topic that was open. And I think the description that Fitzgerald put is that like we have a lot of like health inequities and yeah, just come. 
And that's what I read. So, I, But everyone else had specific things like air pollution and, you know, all these other different things. So I was like, okay, like we'll be open together. I'll go there. And um, I think, you know, our experience together was reflective of that. I went in with an open mind, shared with them what my skill sets were, um, but also, you know, didn't make any promises because I think, you know, when looking at health inequities, I think that it's it's a building block in that whatever I contribute, it's a puzzle piece that will come along and fit next to what is already there and what someone else will do to help solve the problem. And so we kind of took into account one, we have one semester to work on this, um, but also, you know, we developed a relationship that allowed us to continue beyond the, the semester, utilize some existing data sources from the local hospital, also a survey from the Salvation Army, and also another community health needs assessment to really dig deeper in the data to say what is missing here. Like, what did we not elevate in terms of the experiences of our residents and what their needs are? And what came out of it is that there were more questions. And so the city officials were just like, we really don't know know how our residents feel about experiences, you know, when it comes to the social determinants of equity, because we talk a lot about the social determinants of health, which are these non-medical factors that, you know, kind of influence people's health outcomes. But even wrapped around the social determinants of health are the social determinants of equity. These are the power structures and the systems that like racism, sexism, heterosexism, and all these, you know, this different power structures that really shape people's lives. What are our residents' experience connected to that? Um, my city partners, um, um, Christine Graham and Cam Jordan, um, and these are two white individuals. I have to name their race because I think it's, it's very bold of them to take the stance um, and it's necessary as well. Wanted to really delve deeper into a lot of the structural racism um, you know, impacts of their community residents and how it affected preventative healthcare access. And what that led to was um, a couple of town hall meetings in which they had never done before as a community where they brought white and black folks together to talk about their experience um, with racism, um, healthcare access and all of the inequities. And that further shaped a lot of the questions that we wanted to ask around the quality of care that folks felt like they were getting. Stories that came out was just that, you know, a lot of folks of color felt that they were being treated differently than their colleagues. They gave specific stories about how they were turned away because of their race, but they know other folks who were accepted and, you know, so. You know, what was, because a lot of times in these communities, particularly rural communities or underserved communities, you do have a distinct portion of the population, which is, we don't want outside help. We're going to take care of our own, whether that's right or wrong, who knows. Um, but how was the response? I mean, I guess it, you had you had GMA as a partner, you had some city officials buy in, but was it tough to kind of chip away? Were there elements of that there? I think initially, um, <clears throat> I think initially from the, the city residents perspective, and I think, you know, again, like I've been trained to handle situations like that, like the dismissiveness, like, you know, you, you, you can't help us. Like you have no idea what life is like here in Fitzgerald. And what I really leaned upon is that like one, 
I was born and raised in a rural community that is much smaller than Fitzgerald and has a higher poverty rate than Fitzgerald. Not to say that, you know, there's a competition of who's most impoverished, but I let that sort of lead me to kind of, you know, gain their trust and establish a rapport with them. Um, and the initial question, they were just like, so what are you going to do to fix this? And, you know, in all honesty, I just kind of, you know, continued to leave with like, I can't solve your problems today. But what I can do is we could start on a smaller scale. Let us gather the data, analyze the data, and also publish the data. Publishing it will help us get on the track and the continuum that exists for research and policy change for your community. There are no published studies that I could find that were interrogating health status within or scientifically peer-reviewed studies that were interrogating health status within Fitzgerald. And I could understand why. A lot of research study, studies use rural communities as a proxy. So you'll do a research study in Mississippi and allow that to serve as a proxy for all rural communities, you know, around that area, like in Arkansas and Alabama, and they treat rural health like a monolith. And that's not always true, because what is being experienced in Mississippi may be very different and opposite than what someone in a rural community in Alabama may be experiencing. And so I just kind of educated them on how policy change happens when it comes to research and where I fit and where I could contribute in that. Prior to the pursuit of her PhD, Kenya compiled 10 years of experience, including stints with the Centers for Disease Control and overseas working as an applied epidemiologist in Zambia and Uganda. She also worked as the Director of Antibiotic Resistance Epidemiology and Surveillance for the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and she was in New York working on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19 when the pandemic began. After she finished up her time with the fellowship, she told me she took some time away to recenter and recover from not just the stresses of those experiences, but also for her own personal health. I love that downtime, but I would be, I guess, sort of fraudulent if I didn't tell you why that downtime really, really happened. Um, four days before I started the PhD program, I buried my father who passed away due to COVID. I'm sorry. Um, before my dad passed away due to COVID, he lost um, three siblings um, due to COVID. Um, in the midst of my family being ravaged by COVID, I was an infectious disease epidemiologist in New York City working on COVID. Yeah. And this was well before the world. Um, we started preparing for COVID in December. And this is well before the world knew anything about COVID. I think back then it was not called COVID. We were calling it NCOVE. And um, New York City, along with spaces in the West Coast, were the first to sort of experience um, the negative outcomes connected to COVID. So my day-to-day -day life was that I was working 18, I was completely removed from my day-to-day -day job and made a COVID epidemiologist working on this pathogen that was highly virulent, um, deadly, um, and also not being able to share that with the world yet because of legal requirements. Sure. Um, but, you know, even wrap within that working 18-hour days, I think I worked on five COVID teams, the one that was the most daunting was the fatalities team, and that my job was to work with seven other individuals to figure out why were people dying. At that time, you know, we didn't know much about 
COVID at all in terms of its distribution, in terms of how it interacts with the human body, in terms of the key populations that were of concern. So we were responsible for um, gathering data, analyzing data, and publishing the first you know, findings on um, those types of studies. And along with that, going to work every day, and we're also affected by COVID in that I had um, many colleagues to pass away um, during that time. So starting a PhD program with all of that, um, the decision to go forth with it was sort of a light switch for me. It wasn't that let's take a semester, get ourselves together and start. That was not an option for me. It was, but I didn't make that decision. So I started the program and did very well. I would say that. Um, and I did not share with my professors that this was my life before I got into the program. But I got to a point, the last part of my first semester where I had to be transparent because I needed more time um, to process and to really allow the experience of grief to happen. And then when I shared it, they were just like, you've been in class and we had no idea that this was your life you know, before you showed up. Um, but so what I've been doing you know, since that time is one, asking for what I need. Um, but to taking that time to really just pause and not be on the hustle and bustle and always doing X, Y, and Z, which had become a part of my identity. So taking time away was was definitely sort of God ordained. <laughs> right, right. Was that, and if I'm making a wrong assumption, please push back on it, but was that experience on being on the front lines of COVID at the epicenter when all this was happening for the first time, and then the the loss of colleagues of family folks being impacted did that along with everything else that happened in 2020 um did that really encourage you or push you even more to consider doing the health equity fellowship it did um i think so when it boils down to it health equity is very simple it's just this understanding of that everyone does not have the same opportunity to achieve the most optimal level of health. And that there are differences in health status and health outcomes within this country and also across the world. And at each role that I just named along the path of my professional career, my role was based upon working for the marginalized or the people who are most affected by negative health outcomes. And I think, you know, the eye-opening experience, people, I've had this question come to me before they, they ask about, you know, the frontline experience in New York City, like, you know, that must have been the kicker. And I'm like, no, that was not the kicker. You know, the kicker for me is that, you know, I was born and raised in the poorest state in the United States of America, which is Mississippi. Mississippi ranks last on every single health outcome, educational metric, every social determinants of health that, you know, one could rank um, a particular geographic area. And also adding to that, if we were to compare Mississippi to a space in Sub-Saharan Africa, a lot of the health outcomes are nearly identical in America. And that's daunting. So I think that that was the most eye-opening and driving reason for me to do the health equity. And also health equity fellowship also in Zambia. I think Zambia was the first experience that I had where I was in front of death. And during an eight hour shift, I'd have about five babies who would die in the NICU setting. And that 
showed an inequity within itself that, you know, there was a situation going on where some people had access to things that would allow them to, you know, survive and others did not. Um, but COVID was sort of like the, the nail in the coffin um, for me that really highlighted and showed the inequities that existed within this country that predicted survival, um, but also within our workforce. The Health Equity Fellows Program is designed to address the vast disparities in health outcomes across Georgia, particularly with regard to race. An equally wide gulf exists with regard to the representation of people of color in various public health fields, and it's something that has helped push Kenya throughout her studies and her career. There's an absence of people who look like me, who are infectious disease epidemiologists in this country. I think I met my first Black epidemiologist at 26, but I had been in public health for a very long time at that time. I think that that's more information for us in terms of, you know, our workforce capacity, because we were at the space in COVID where we needed epidemiologists to actually go into communities of color to do health education, to also do assessments, to figure out what the needs are. But if folks are already feeling marginalized and have these thoughts around, you know, where they fit within this whole context of racism in this country, and you send a non-Black epidemiologist, or you don't have any Black epidemiologists, and your one Black one is already working on five teams, that's more information that we need to diversify our system, and not only diversity, but also include um, folks of color in the planning that actually goes into developing interventions for their community. You know, you mentioned the, that there being a lack of, of diversity, um, a lack of people of color serving in the field of public health. How, let me make sure I kind of structure this the right way. When I, I, I would suggest part of the way there are a myriad number of ways we can we can do better to make that happen. But I would suggest one of the ways was by what you were doing in Fitzgerald, by being able to go down there and work in a rural community where there is a black population who can then, it's not, it's not a person who looks like me coming in from Atlanta or Athens or Augusta or whatever, working with them. It's someone who has a similar background, who looks like them, who has a background like them. That has to be, would you agree that that might be something or that's a key factor in your service is helping to inspire folks to potentially inspire folks to do something similar? Mm -hmm. I think representation is important. Um, I think presence in seeing people who look like you do something different or something that you've dreamed of is, is important. Um, something that helped me, I, I have friends in my head, this is about to sound like I need some sort of help. A friend in my head, who I had never met, encouraged me to become an epidemiologist. And this is about to give a story of manifestation as well. And that I had never met a black epidemiologist, but I had decided in the sixth grade that I wanted to be an epidemiologist. I saw the movie Outbreak in class one day with, I think Dustin Hoffman, I think that's his name, Dennis or Dustin Hoffman. And um, was like, I wanna do that. Everybody else was grossed out, but I was like, I wanna do that. Had no clue that it was called epidemiology. But I was like, I wanna do what they're doing in this movie. Um, the sad part of that, about that is the state of Mississippi did not have an accredited epidemiology program. So I went to school to get a undergrad degree, a bachelor's in biology pre-med, but still thinking in the back of my head, I wonder 
what degree do you need to get that? And it wasn't until my senior year that I randomly ran across the word epidemiology, read a, de a definition of it and was like, that's what I heard in sixth grade. Like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Apply to the program. And so there's a deficit of programs that are in communities of color that are focused on public health and epidemiology. So that's a structural issue. So you can have representation all day long, but if they don't have access to the schools that are accredited to even go and get a degree to become a scientist or what may have you, um, the problem will still persist. The friend in my head, I'd read the work of Kamara Jones, um, who is this world renowned, just amazing public health professional. And she became my friend in my head and um, studied her work immensely in graduate school, knew her work forward and backward, but I'd never met a black epidemiologist, but she was the one in my head. The job that I got at CDC, my first day, they said, your team members are all here, but one is missing, her office is there. And I look up and it says Kamara Jones. And I'm like, it can't be the, like, she's not on my team, like, no. And sure. then, you know, she was off for two weeks because it was a holiday. And um, I go and knock on her door her first day back. And she says, come in. And I was so starstruck. I was fangirling. And I said, it's you. And she said, it's me. What did I do? And so she said, please ha have a seat. But what happened after that was, <clears throat> one, I got to meet the person in my head. That person took me on as a mentor, as a mentee. Um, everywhere she went, I went. And she was like the, the world-renowned celebrity, but also a huge part of mentorship and representation in my life. Um, but to your question, um, I think it's very important that we go out um, and, you know, have talks and, you know, programs that really show folks that, you know, this is possible. Better in Real Life is a production of Trestle Collective. It's hosted by me, Jonathan McGinty, with original music and editing by Joe Van Hoos. For more, visit TrestleCollective.com, and be sure to let us know what you think of the show.